Lead UX, the User Experience Leadership Circle, hosted by Dr. Thomas Führinger-Kult. With my guest today, I chat about role models for leaders, especially in the area of user experience what you can do as a business unit leader to help and make your team leaders and the team members grow, which skills you need to have as team leader and how you can learn them to make your team shine in the organization. Of course, we also tackle topics like misconceptions about UX, which are very common in many organizations still, how you can overcome them and which KPIs you can use to show and tell the value of UX design work. Finally, we also touch topics which are more practical like design systems, patterns and tools and how research uh, can help to find the right uh, solutions for the problems we've defined in the beginning of the process. So enjoy listening to this episode. All right, then warm welcome to another episode of the Elite UX, the UX Leadership Circle podcast. Uh, your compass for navigating the ever-evolving landscape of UX leadership and UX maturity in organizations. My guest today is Jacek Popko. He's head of Digital Solutions Business Unit as, uh, at Macolab. So thank you uh, and welcome to the show, Jacek. Uh, great to have you. Uh, thanks, Thomas, for the invite. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, sure. So um, could you first of all introduce yourself to our listeners and describe a bit of your current um, yeah, job role and tasks? Yeah, so to, uh, to make the long story short, uh, uh, by heart, uh, I'm a, a UX slash product slash uh, uh, business designer. So uh, what I do mostly is I do my best to intersect perspectives of users, technology, and uh, voice of business also. Uh, on a daily basis, um, I work with other business units at Macolab uh, to support them with uh, ideation and evaluation of uh, digital products. Um, and uh, I've been in the HCI field for more than 20 years now, so I guess it makes me a bit of a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> But still, uh, I, I, I believe there is a lot to, to learn also for me. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's why I'm more than happy to talk to you to, you know, pick your, pick your brain <laughs> and get insights and benefit uh, from your experience. So um, what motivates you uh, to get up in the morning and work in the H HCI or UX field? Um, so I think a few years ago, it used to be the challenge. So trying to solve some problems and uh, tackle whatever was needed on the go. And now it's more about working with teams and mot motivating people and making sure that uh, uh, the project uh, runs smoothly. So now as I see my team leaders uh, grow uh, and uh, change uh, when it comes to not just the uh, hard skills, but also the soft skills which are needed uh, for the team to grow. Uh, I think that's something even more powerful that uh, 
I initially thought UX uh, would be uh, for me, actually. So it's no longer just uh, ideation or paper prototyping or uh, basically uh, shaping the product, but also learning about the, the, the human part of it in terms of uh, organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so to what, what are then specific soft skills and competences from your point of view for a good UX leader? Um, yeah, so uh, I was uh, asking this question to myself uh, many a time, like what really makes uh, a leader respectively in this field? And a few years ago, I remember I was asked, like, who is your uh, role model for a leader maybe? Like, uh, is it a Winston, Winston Churchill uh, type of guy, or maybe more Barack Obama, or the, like, uh, who is this uh, role model for, for leadership? And I, I remember I had a hard time trying to find the answer, uh, because uh, I, I couldn't pick one uh, uh, figure and uh, say, okay, this is the guy, or this is the girl, whatever. Um, but I think... Uh, the quality that resonates with me most is the servant leader uh, idea. Uh, and uh, I know that it's not yet popular in many cultures uh, which are hierarchical, uh, but uh, for uh, flattened, flattened organizations where there are no, no uh, really not many uh, levels of hierarchy, and the, the teams are really working closely uh, in terms of all the skills that are needed there. Uh, I think that the role of the leader and uh, thus the quality is to make sure that uh, one can lead by uh, showing certain behaviors uh, in the zero moment of truth. So there is consistency. Uh, like not just this leadership by uh, maybe uh, reaching out for a book and saying, okay, those are the rules that we follow, but maybe trying to show it on a day-to-day basis. So I think there is a, uh, when I think of the uh, perspective of uh, servant leader, I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? as a business unit leader to make my team leaders grow. What is it? Uh, How how can I uh, help them? And uh, I've came across a couple of different tools uh, looking from HR perspective, such as the uh, Gallup uh, talent uh, tool, which uh, allows organizations to understand a little bit uh, what specific sort of soft skill any given person uh, has. And uh, I believe that there are other tools like that, but uh, at least it makes sense to understand, okay, we're all different, so let's see uh, how we can use this diversity to shape the strengths. And I, I believe in shaping strengths, not, not in trying to maybe forge everyone into 
this one type of uh, uh, specific leader who needs to have this and that. Uh, I mean, for, for sure, leaders need to have the drive for leading. It, it's, it's impossible to become a leader without the drive. So the drive needs to be there. Uh, but uh, does the drive mean that the leader needs to take over? I don't think so. Mm. I, yeah, I, I get this point of servant leadership, and this has been something I thought about um, also since quite a while. Um, but my, to my experience in teams, there are usually different types of, of employees. So mm. um, I, do you think everybody um, in the team is really um, or can, can, can value this kind of servant leadership? I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that uh, it requires uh, a set of uh, skills that uh, fortunately can be learned. So it's, it's doable to, to become a leader in, in thinking about it uh, from this angle. But uh, uh, it takes uh, some skills to grow, like maybe the skill of active listening and uh, really uh, keeping an open mind not not judging people with uh, like try, trying to find some one size fits all criteria for good or bad leadership uh, and uh, at the same time i think that a lot of uh, ux people share this uh, uh, sense of uh, fragility or uh, maybe a, a very easy skill of uh, empathizing with other with other with others and this is what also builds a, a great leader I would say because uh, it allows you to more or less uh, put yourself in the shoes of uh, of others and uh, see okay so how this is working as an interaction in terms of human-to-human uh, -human, uh, exchange. Um, and apart from active listening, I think that uh, there are many skills uh, with regards to uh, understanding uh, how uh, people, depending on their various inner talents, uh, how they value uh, specific I would say uh, qualities. So let's uh, let's take an example. Like uh, suppose uh, you are a leader and uh, you are selected a leader, and uh, there is a there is a team of five that you're about to lead. Uh, what do you know exactly about those people? What motivates them? Uh, how to talk with them so that they more or less uh, feel comfortable in this uh, dialogue. Um, each, each and every one of us, we are all different uh, in a way, and we all have uh, our qualities, our values, and it takes a lot of uh, sensibility to uh, step into this field and uh, remain comfortable and at the same time uh, have this uh, good human exchange uh, with, with uh, others that are invited to, into the project. So 
uh, I believe there is no specific pattern like is there a is a user researcher a better fit for a leader than a designer? I don't think so. Uh, but but I think that uh, a good fit uh, uh, is a good listener uh, who understands uh, diversity. Uh, and then uh, once uh, she or he understands that uh, uh, there will be different roles in the team and some of people will be stars, some of them uh, will be workers, uh, there will be... Uh, different styles of leadership that the people will appreciate uh, this and that. Uh, so uh, this is the soft skill that I'm thinking of. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, as UXers, we are used to uh, put ourselves in the shoes of, of others. Um, it's from my experience, this is also important in regards to understanding um, the needs of your stakeholders. So the team is one topic, but um, the requirements you need to fulfill uh, in terms of, you know, managing expectations uh, with other stakeholders in the organization is also, I think, uh, really something um, UX leadership needs to accomplish. So maybe we can change gear here a little bit and talk about more of, uh, about the organizational side of things. What's your what's your experience with managing expectations from stakeholders outside the core UX team? Yeah, so I'm really glad that uh, uh, we're talking about this because uh, it feels like uh, uh, a lot of organizations today are siloed uh, in this or other way, and uh, uh, there are some common uh, misconceptions about what UX uh, is uh, uh, really. And those misconceptions are more or less equally shared among uh, other uh, units or, or silos. <laughs> the, I think the most basic misconception is that uh, uh, UX is about uh, visual design and that uh, this is it. Uh, so, uh, but I guess there are a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different um, uh, actors on the market uh, trying to change that wave and uh, publishing on LinkedIn and so forth. But uh, still, uh, I feel like uh, it's quite a challenge to uh, share the knowledge and build the understanding of what UX really is. Because uh, most people, when asked, they more or less understand what software development is. Uh, and as for UX, uh, this is not very uh, widely uh, distributed. So uh, I think th the first challenge is to make sure the, that yeah, UX is properly understood. Uh, and then, apart from understanding what it is, it's also understanding uh, what is the benefit of it? Why even bother to do it? Because everyone can see the PNL, everyone can see the the cost of it, but uh, how does it add value uh, actually? And uh, and I think that uh, uh, profits uh, such as uh, uh, bringing the conversion conversion ratio uh, higher or uh, turning the uh, churn rates uh, lower uh, or saving time, uh, this and that, they are much more tangible than, than just uh, saying about, okay, this interface is more pleasant than the other one. Uh, and this is the 
those are the conversations that I, I think uh, need to be done with uh, a lot of silos in, in many organizations. So at least uh, we can defend UX as uh, not a cost driver, but actually a profit driver uh, or savings driver uh, for the organization. So this is the, I think this is the core issue, actually. And then once we are over that, then it's a bit easier to get a bit of buy-in into uh, whatever type of UX this uh, team or unit uh, are doing. Uh, from my experience, uh, a lot of software developers uh, do not have any even basic training into what uh, UX is. Uh, I think that it's due to the fact of uh, how programs at universities are being uh, set up and that uh, IT is actually um, uh, not including, I mean, all, most of the IT studies are not including uh, human factors uh, in, in the software design. Uh, and many of the uh, business, business unit uh, directors and line managers, uh, they come exactly from this field. They come from software engineering. Um, so uh, first we need to build uh, some sort of understanding, then uh, understand what is the value, and then we can jump into, okay, let's try to understand how we can streamline processes how we can make sure that UX has a voice at the table. What is the good outcome of that? And then we can build some first uh, case studies, maybe share some lighthouse project. Uh, and then um, it, it's getting better and better adopted. So uh, that's my experience. That's, that's what I uh, have seen. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some uh, certain KPIs like um, conversion mm -hmm. rate and stuff. Can you share more, a bit more details about other maybe KPIs you will apply uh, to raise awareness for actually the use of um, UX methods? Yeah, I think that uh, other important uh, KPIs are uh, reduced uh, uh, time or reduced number of errors. So at least in the software development domain, uh, there is uh, always an outlook on, on those numbers. And they are always somehow measured uh, across the software development lifecycle. Um, I mean, maybe not for all the products, but uh, those are the ones that are tracked, uh, at least. So the, uh, whenever we think about completion rate um, uh, or the success rate when it comes to task-oriented uh, uh, interaction design, I think that those are the operational uh, KPIs. And when we are thinking about business level KPIs, it's more about uh, uh, the growth of the customer lifetime value, the retention of the customer, uh, maybe the individual uh, net worth uh, of uh, transaction. Those are the KPIs that I've came across uh, in my work. Mm. And do you also apply certain quality gates uh, for UX-related KPIs? Like, are there certain showstoppers uh, that would um, stop a project from being delivered if a certain UX KPI is not measured? Or are, there, are those more like targets that um, are nice to have but are not mandatory? 
Um, well, actually, the um, KPIs that I've mentioned uh, just a moment ago uh, serve as a component of uh, uh, success criteria for the entire project. So maybe the showstopper is more of an operational KPI, KPI related to ergonomy. So uh, if we don't pass WCAG, then we cannot go on production. Maybe. So it, it's, it's like this. But uh, when we are thinking about uh, business-oriented uh, KPIs, like maybe uh, conversion ratio, uh, this is always sub this is always subject to continuous uh, improvement. Uh, the, there is no such thing in the digital product lifecycle as a finished product. It's you you just have releases. So uh, what, what what we are doing is we are doing our best to make sure that release over release it gets better, uh, and so that the initial conversion ratio ratio is not actually. Uh, green light uh, for the uh, for the project or a key um, uh, situation for the project, uh, but uh, I would say that it's a marker, uh, and then uh, we can look at it and uh, see how it improves uh, over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So um, if we think about reaching uh, uh, next maturity level uh, in terms of you know measuring those KPIs mm -hmm. and um, yeah, accepting or acceptance of those KPIs in a broader um, development uh, team. Um, if you think about some maturity uh, models that are out there, so how long do you think it takes really um, for a company to establish the next step in UX maturity? Well, but uh, I think it depends on uh, where, where you start from, but. Uh, uh, Suppose uh, you're building from scratch. I, I would say any span between two to three years is necessary to make sure that uh, you have at least certain frameworks and uh, mode of operations for the teams and uh, synchronization between the teams so that uh, in the end everyone understands how uh, are we building actually because uh, the, the trouble that I see mostly is that uh, the design framework is there and the software development framework is there but where is the analytics framework on top of that it's most cases it doesn't exist it's, it's just uh, some disperse unit which is doing some analysis for top management on a irregular basis. It, it just sometimes happens. Well, sometimes there are some monthly reports, this and that. But there is a certain disconnection between uh, watching at all the uh, parameters of the solution, business, business KPIs, and connection between UX roles and uh, software development roles, quality engineering, and business. I see a huge gap uh, there. It's not a cycle. So for me, the next level is actually to achieve uh, for any digital product sort of a loop, which is an infinite uh, process, but uh, including all of those functions that I mentioned before. So UX, development, analytics, business. 
then if you manage to have uh, a process where on a weekly basis you can look at the data and based on that data take a decision where to go next that's something but uh, i've only seen it a couple of times so uh, that's why i think this is the next level of uh, maturity mm, yeah so um, we talked now um, a long time um, about actual development projects if you think mm -hmm. about if you think about innovations um, mm -hmm. do you think um, UX, a certain UX maturity level is important uh, for a company to develop better innovations? Um, yes. I think, uh, I mean, given the uh, low barrier of the current design tools, like uh, 10 years ago, it was really quite hard to enter the uh, domain. And now, Uh, it's fairly easy to uh, start working with Figma. There is a number of tutorials. There is a number of courses on uh, UX and interaction design. Uh, I mean, the pace at, at which this is moving is uh, absolutely fascinating. And uh, when I look at the pace at which uh, uh, Figma, FigJam, all the uh, AI plugins, uh, everything that uh, is happening there, the pace that it picked up actually results in a situation where sometimes the junior designers in terms of uh, junior uh, interaction design skills become senior designers in, in terms of visual design over uh, seniors that have been in the field for many for a long time uh, actually because of the Uh, capabilities with the tool. Uh, so I think um, that the next big thing uh, for organizations is not exactly related to uh, tools itself, but to make sure that the uh, process uh, of uh, elaborating uh, innovation includes uh, the uh, research and the evaluation uh, phase. Those are the two uh, phases where uh, we haven't gained much benefit uh, in, in the last two or three years. Uh, the design and good design and atomic design systems, all of that are becoming a commodity now. Uh, I would even risk a thesis that uh, Uh, within uh, three to five years, we will see a lot of uh, AI-based designs created uh, very fast, uh, very rapidly, because really there is a number of patterns that uh, we can use machine learning to learn from, and those will be frighteningly good designs, I suppose, uh, in, in a couple of years. But still, it doesn't solve the question of uh, pinpointing the user pain and uh, saying, okay, we need to fix this pain, not, not the other. Uh, so I think user, user research and uh, validation of uh, any prototype that, that comes up to the market, the validation not just of the UX part of the prototype, but also of the uh, market value proposal. Like, okay, what is the pricing of it? What is the quality of delivery? What is the, any other qualities which are uh, with regards to the 
whole customer experience, right? Uh, so long story short, I believe that UX is crucial, but not in terms of uh, visual design. I see that uh, becoming more and more as a commodity, thus uh, thinking that the uh, core component that needs to be uh, taken care of uh, is the core of UX, which is interaction design, actually. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I understand you correctly, you say that um, the what and the how of designing uh, interactive products um, is, is uh, standardized, but um, we, we lack still um, research to answer the question why we develop certain uh, solutions, right? Yeah, I think it's the hardest question to get the answer for, and uh, this is where most uh, companies struggle, actually, because uh, there is uh, no golden hammer for that. Uh, you just need to go and find out by trial, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, if you think of UX research, um, there are also certain standards how we would uh, conduct user clinics and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Oftentimes, I mean, in my experience, it's just a lack of, of using those uh, tools that we actually also have for UX research, right? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's due to the fact uh, that uh, maybe user research findings are not so uh, pleasant visually to showcase in the organization. And the, and the assets, the deliverables, are actually harder to market internally and to show, okay, it really makes sense to invest in this because the in the people who are really excited about that are, are just UXers. I, I haven't even seen any business people really excited about, okay, let's do some uh, interviews and find out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's also my experience, right? So we need to, again, put ourselves in the shoes of the, of the management. Uh, and yeah, present our research results in a way that yeah they can also benefit and and understand the value of it um, so now if we um, come back or not come back but broaden the view a bit and think about um, attracting talent uh, to organizations mm -hmm. so you mentioned um, that nowadays it's easy to enter the UX field definitely easier than it was uh, 10 yeah. 15 or even 20 years ago for sure um, but now we rather have the um, situation that uh, we need um, talent to, uh, to enter our um, organizations and also to keep them uh, in our companies. So um, what do you think, or from your experience, what, what is needed for organizations to attract um, talented um, UXers and also keep them? Yeah, so I would say that... Uh depending on the role of the organization because uh, i mean if, if the organization is a sort of software house or a digital agency then uh, mostly what i hear from my leaders and uh, on recruitment calls is that it's the variety of projects and quality of projects uh, so designers obviously want a an interesting challenge uh, to work on. And this is the uh, much appreciated uh, factor here. Now, 
looking at that from product companies' uh, perspective, that's a bit different because most of the product companies, they already have some sort of exciting product uh, that could be enhanced somehow by the digital experience maybe. Or maybe the digital experience is 90% of the experience. Uh, but still, the product is there. So what counts, it's not just uh, uh, about the product itself or how exciting the project is, but also how this will be managed. And actually, some of the designers, uh, they say, okay, I really like the recruitment process because I not only got to talk to managers, but I also got to talk to the team uh, with whom uh, I'll be working with. And then I could more or less see what are those people and we could even barely, but see, okay, there is a fit uh, and we feel comfortable talking to each other. Maybe we talk common language or maybe not. Uh, so uh, it, it really saves uh, a lot of effort, <laughs> a lot of pain to uh, maybe not suffer being somewhere for a month or two before you realize that the, the team is uh, absolutely not how you wanted it to be and you need to escape as a designer. So, uh, yeah, so, so basically project and team uh, validation. Uh, I think that uh, coming back again to the idea of servant leader, I think that uh, most and most uh, designers are very much interested into how they will be treated uh, in a team. Uh, will the UX role or the UX talent be appreciated in the organization? Or maybe it has to fight its own way and uh, prove that it's uh, worthy of being at the table, so to speak. So, um, I think it's the level of adoption in, uh, of uh, UX, uh, the level of maturity. Uh, is it just a small organization with uh, maybe a few UX roles, or maybe it already has uh, a lot of practices, a lot of uh, different themes? Uh, that depends. But I would say those three things. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, do you see special um, challenges for companies uh, when now younger people, Gen Z, um, are entering the job market? Um, so what I experience in job interviews um, is that, yeah, they they ask for topics that you just mentioned, but also mm -hmm. for uh, for other benefits that I personally would have would not have focused on <laughs> when I entered the job market. So do you think there are special challenges uh, with Gen uh... Z uh, employees? Well, I think that the challenge is that uh, basically a difference between uh, the current generation of managers and Gen Z, maybe. Like, uh, I know that it's a stereotype, but still, uh, let's make it useful for the purpose of the conversation. So, uh, yes, uh, I think there are uh, important factors for Gen Z that... Uh, I couldn't see for my generation, and I wouldn't dare to ask uh, at uh, at an interview many years ago. Uh, but also, that's quite interesting. I had uh, one employee, and uh, upon interview, she asked, 
could she have flexible hours, but only on Thursdays? And I asked, uh, okay, could you elaborate on, on this a little bit? And she said, well, uh, on Thursdays, I take care of my grandmother. And I would like to spend some more time with her because it feels like I know that she will pass away sometime uh, soon. And then I realized, okay, so maybe this is the generation that realized that the value of relationship between people is really a very important value and maybe they want to have this connection uh, over some salary terms or over some other benefits that uh, uh, maybe my generation uh, could see fit. There were some other concerns like, uh, okay, uh, what are we doing with uh, paper that we use for paper prototyping? Is it recycled or is it just uh, uh, discarded? So those are the kind of the questions that uh, I wouldn't ask myself uh, being interviewed uh, 20 years ago. Definitely not. But I think those are valid questions uh, given the uh, current context. Yeah, 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 that's a super touching story yeah, that you mentioned. Also, yeah, resonates with with my experience in job interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, to sum up, do you have any recommendations now for people entering, um, not entering the, the UX job market, but more growing mm -hmm. into management positions? Um, is there something you would like to have known <laughs> 10 years ago, or any other uh, insights you can give uh, to our listeners? Well. Uh... I think uh, there is a number of uh, good advice all around. And uh, starting with <laughs> uh, Jobs' famous uh, stay hungry, stay foolish, which applies here uh, also, because I believe that we can never stop learning about culture and about the quality of uh, interaction uh, between us uh, as humans, as you are just uh, illustrating that with the generation gap uh, differences uh, and I think this is valid and uh, there is one more thing there is a number of tools that are out there it's not just us UXers that have the right tools for the job uh, HR departments growth departments they also have their tools it's really uh, worth uh, listening uh, to them and learning okay how can we, how can we use that there is a number of learning that we could use from software uh, development. Agile Manifesto is now, I don't know, 20 years old or something like this. And still, uh, it remains so valid. Uh, and uh, uh, it's touching uh, how many of uh, its uh, uh, thesis of, of the points remain still uh, untouched uh, in the UX uh, uh, field, uh, so to speak. So I would encourage to step out of the uh, comfort zones, to step out of the UX zone once in transition to a leadership uh, role. To look uh, broader, to look into the domain of software engineering, to look into the domain of HR, uh, maybe to look into the domain of uh, business uh, as it is to understand the context better, but also to have a better toolbox uh, because it's a different responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Super cool. So thank you, Jacek, uh, for all those insights. I think this has been really super valuable. And yeah, thank, thanks a lot uh, for giving us your, you know, your, or letting us um, learn from your experience. And it was really great talking to you today. Thanks uh, for being my guest. And yeah, all the best for your future endeavors in, at Makolab. Yeah, and maybe see you soon at one UX conference or something like that. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.